Good morning, dear church family, guests, and visitors. We wish to uh, wish you a, a blessed new year, praying the Lord will richly bless each of you in this new year with His His grace and mercy. Our call to worship uh, this morning comes from Psalm 117. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise Him, all ye people. For His merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Our scripture reading of 20, for our first scripture reading of 2024 comes from Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8, and we'll be reading from verses 11 through 22. Isaiah 8, 11 through 22. Hear the word of our Lord. For the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand, and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Say ye not a confederacy. To all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy, neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken, and be snared and be taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth in Mount Zion. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God, for the living to the dead, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And they shall pass through it, hardly bestead and hungry, and it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. And they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. This is the word of our Lord. As we look around us today, the days we live in look bleak and dark. It seems that God is mocked and that evil is abounding. It seems that everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. We are embracing evil lusts and impure passions. It seems we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We worship the creator or the creature rather than the creator. 
We've been given over to a debased mind and are filled with unrighteousness, filled with evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. We are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to authority, foolish, faithless, heartless, and unmerciful. And as we look at this, we must conclude that we are ripe for God's judgment. Our future looks bleak. Our nation is wicked. Having rejected God, Christians are a minority. We are mocked, scorned, and sometimes even persecuted. Surely the end is near. And we are living in the very last days. Christ must be returning soon. Words like these have been said by many throughout history. Whether it was Paul, whether it was Augustine, whether it was Calvin, or we say these words today. And we are in the last days. The last days have been ever since Christ Ascended into glory and the more and more we move on in time, the sooner and sooner it is, the sooner it is until Christ will return. But like it has been for so many before us, the world looks dark to us. Its trajectory, where it's going, seems even darker. We fear for our children, we are anticipating persecution and, op- and oppression. We look with trepidation into this next year. What will 2024 bring us? Our amillennialism generally causes us to have a pessimistic view of the future. So our, our natural conclusion often is, is that this next year will be worse than the one before. We get worried. We feel angst. Some think we should escape. Others want to fight. And still others want to be passive and isolate themselves. So as we face a new year together, as we look at the world around us, we see much to discourage us. It seems like the world has and is rejecting more and more the truth, labeling us as Christians as bigots and haters. Honor for God and authority is rapidly diminishing. And if we were to plot the trajectory of where we were going on a line graph, that line graph would have a negative slope value. So what are we to do? What are we to do in this new year? How are we to to live in 2024? How do we go forward when the future appears so bleak to so many of us? Well, 
We do not face unique circumstances. There have been many times before in the history of God's church when the future of God's people looked very bleak, even more bleak than it looks today. We need look no further than our text from today in Isaiah. The faithful believers during Isaiah's day They faced incredibly dark times, incredibly dark days. But the Lord comes here. He comes here in Isaiah 8, verses 11 through 18. And he gives Isaiah and his disciples, he gives his people clear instructions on how they can move forward. And this is what we'll be looking at this morning. Our our sermon is titled, Instructions for the New Year. And we find two basic instructions here. The first being fear the Lord. And the second being wait for the Lord. Isaiah in verse 11 tells us that the Lord spoke to him. He says here, for the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. The language here used is that The Lord spoke to Isaiah with a strong hand. This means there's extra emphasis put on these instructions to Isaiah. The Lord wants to make sure that Isaiah is listening. And that Isaiah is heeding his instruction. Calvin actually describes it as a father taking his child by the hand and guiding him through danger. Your father and mother might take your hand and guide you across the road, little children. The Lord here is taking extra care to make sure that Isaiah is listening. That Isaiah is understanding what the Lord is saying. He's guiding Isaiah with a strong hand, leading him by the hand so that he will not walk in the way of this people. And so as we move into this year, this is our comfort as well, dear Christian. As we face this new year, we serve a God. We, we serve a, a Savior who willingly guides us, who willingly, as it were, takes us by our hand and leads us. He gives us his word. He gives us his testimony to depend on. We know that when we hear the wisdom of the world, Wisdom that may even sound good to our ears, but is contrary to the word of God. We know that it is foolishness. God guides us. He gives us his word as truth that comes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we know that anything that is contrary to God's word is deceptive and wicked. The Lord moves on to say to Isaiah, say ye not a confederacy. This actually could be translated as conspiracy. To all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy or a conspiracy, neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. To understand what's going on here, we need to know a little bit what was happening in Judah and Israel in those days. We've went over this before a few weeks ago, but we need to go over it again here. 
What's happening here is the Assyrian Empire is at the height of its power. It has taken over most of Israel and it's now threatening Judah. The nations are scrambling to to find a way to escape the power of the Assyrians. Alliances are being formed. Tribute is being paid. Scheming and plotting are in the air. So you can imagine what's happening. If you think about what's happening, they're being threatened. People are trying to escape and become uh, and and find safety. The people are seeing conspiracies. They're seeing plotting all around them. These people are afraid. They're seeing spies around every corner. Opinions run wild on what should be done. Some support joining the alliance made between Israel and Syria. Others think they should pay off the Assyrians and hope they don't attack. While the believers say that they should trust in the Lord alone. Accusations are leveled. People are called traitor. Division and fear flourishes. It's a very troubling time. There seems to be no escape So it's natural that people would be stressed, that they'd be anxious, that they'd be desperate to find a solution for their safety. Yet notice what the Lord says here to Isaiah. Notice what the Lord says to his people. He says, do not fear what these people fear, nor be afraid. The Lord's telling his people amidst these threatening times, these dark times, to not fear, to not be afraid. Now it's very important to see too here that is this because the Lord is promising deliverance? Is this because the Lord is saying to them, I don't be afraid because I'm going to deliver you from this trial? I'm going to deliver you from the Assyrians? No, this is, this is not the case. We know Assyria will completely destroy Israel and, and almost destroy Judah. So then why does the Lord tell his people not to fear the circumstances that surround them? To not get caught up in the, hyster- in the hysteria of the people that are afraid. Well, our text tells us this. It's because in comparison with him, in comparison with the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the Assyrians are nothing. They are mere pawns on the chessboard of God's plan. No, it's not the Assyrians that the people must fear. It's not their circumstances that they must fear. They must fear the Lord of hosts. It says here, sanctify or make holy the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. It is the Lord whom they must fear. It is he who is the most powerful. It is he who controls the events of their day. 
It is he who reigns as ruler and judge of all creation. And so as we face the circumstances of our day, as we look forward to 2024, these instructions come to us as well. To not fear what many are fearing, but to fear the Lord. Let Him be our fear and let Him be our dread. Now there are two distinct applications here. The first application is that we need not fear the future. We need not fear the world. We need not fear Satan or our circumstances because God rules over them. Believers need not fear because we trust in the Lord's sovereign control over all things. Now this, of course, does not mean that we are passive. This doesn't mean that we sit back and that we isolate ourselves from the world and that we do nothing. This doesn't mean that we throw up our hands and do not engage with our culture. No, we're called to influence. We're called to be active. We're called to bring the gospel. We're called to make plans. We're called to be witnesses of Christ to the world. But we do not do this in desperation. We do not do this in a spirit of pessimism and and fatalism. Rather, we go forward this year expectantly looking to see what the Lord will do. We know the Lord will continue to work. That he will continue to build his church. That he will grow and, and strengthen his people. That he will keep his covenant promises. As verse 14 says, the Lord shall be our sanctuary. This word ties the Lord to to the tabernacle, to the temple. The Lord shall tabernacle with his people. He shall dwell with us. Dear Christian, you need not fear this coming year. Because your Lord will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He will always dwell with his people. We just celebrated Christmas. And several times we heard the name Emmanuel. God with us. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is with his people. He will walk with you, dear Christian, day after day, leading And guiding. And so the Lord tells us here that we are not to fear the world. We are not to fear our circumstances. But we are called to fear Him. Yes, this means to love Him. But as our text shows here, to fear the Lord is much deeper than mere respect and admiration. Boys and girls, if the Lord were to appear here now, right now, in the middle of this church, how do you think all of us would react? 
What would all of us immediately do? We would fall flat on our faces. We would be so overwhelmed with the glory of God. We would be afraid. Unbelievers would would be filled with dread and believers' hearts would be filled with fearful awe. The glory of God would be overwhelming to us, too much for our mere bodies, mortal bodies to bear. And in some sense, this gives a picture of what Isaiah is speaking about here. This gives a picture of how we are to fear the Lord. We are to walk in quorum Deo. We are to live with fear as if we are living in the presence of God. this God, this God gives us precious promises. He adopts his people as his sons and daughters. He stoops down to our level. He even becomes exactly like us in every way except sin. But when the Lord does this, when he comes near to us, when he comes down to our level, he in no way is losing any of his glory. In fact, his condescension, his incarnation adds to God's glory. It makes it possible for us to approach him in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he desires to have communion with us. Yet in no way when God comes down to our level does this make God less glorious. Less to be feared. In no way does this make God our body, one who we deal with in a superficial manner. God calls us to not fear the world and our circumstances this year, but to fear Him. The Lord Jesus Christ plainly tells us in Matthew ten twenty eight, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body, both soul and body in hell. The Lord calls us to live a life of reverence before him. To follow him. To out of thankfulness for what he has done, to, to live our lives to live holy lives of thankfulness to him. And we know that we can freely come to our holy and loving Father. That he loves us with an indescribable and infinite love. Yet we must always remember that he is God. That he is great and terrible and must be feared and adored. Now, there's a second application here as well. It's a sober one. It's the same words that are used in the first application, but the audience is different. The message to the faithful, the message to believers, was one of loving instruction and encouragement. But when these 
same words are applied to the unfaithful, when these same words are applied to the unbeliever, they're a very sober warning. The Lord tells them too, do not fear what is happening, but fear God and let him be your terror. Do not fear the Assyrians because of what they can do. But be terrified of God because of who he he is and what he will do. Because, dear unbeliever, for when the Lord deals with you, it will be much worse than if you met the Assyrians. If you were to meet God now, it would be much worse than if all your fears about your present circumstances came to pass. For the believer, the Lord will be a sanctuary. But as Isaiah tells us in verse 14 and 15, to the unbeliever, the Lord will be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel for a trap and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. This is a scary thought. But dear unbeliever, this is exactly the predicament that you are in. Perhaps you are looking at this coming year to 2024 and Maybe you even think this future looks bleak. Maybe this new year only appears to be bringing you trials and difficulties. But what Isaiah is saying here, the worst that could happen to you in this world, the worst that could happen to you in 2024 is nothing compared to what awaits you if you do not turn and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Fear God. Be in dread of Him. Be terrified. For you are standing on perilous ground unless you turn and believe the full and terrible and dreadful wrath of God will fall upon you. And be upon you forever. And this message to you, even this message that's so sober, that's so serious, it's a God of mercy that is bringing you this message. Even in this message of doom, there is hope for you. The Lord brings this message to you, not so, not to gloat, not to taunt you. He brings this message to you to warn you, to call you to turn to Him while there is yet time. The Lord brings this message so that you would believe His Word, so that you would go to Him, casting yourself upon His mercy confessing your sins and believing in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, as and I hope this isn't the case, 
But I fear it. it. It can be, though you're faced with this awful future, though you're hearing about it now and you've heard about it so many times before, yet you continue to go on your own way. And I don't understand this. Why, why is this? You would think that anyone confronted with mortal danger would do all they could do to find safety and hope. And many of you do not. But our text does hint at why it is, at why this happens. The Lord and his message is a rock of stumbling. It's a, a, a stone of stumbling. It's a rock of offense. And we know from the New Testament that this rock is Christ. We know because Peter quotes this very text in 1 Peter 2 verse 8. He says that unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builder is disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Is this true? Is this true for you? Is Jesus Christ and his gospel an an offense to you? Are you not saved because you refuse to be saved? Are you not saved because you refuse, you have no use for Christ and the gospel? He, He is an offense to you? Perhaps you want to add something to his gospel. Perhaps it's inconceivable in your mind that one simply believes the gospel and they are saved. You won't have it be so simple. You must complicate it. You must somehow make it hard or impossible that a sinner can simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. You would add prerequisites to faith, a certain degree of misery, a certain experience Something that you have merited or or achieved. You don't like free gifts, perhaps. And you don't like feeling indebted to someone. You don't want to accept the free gift of salvation because you don't want to be indebted to Christ. You don't want to be indebted to anyone. You want to deserve the gift to have prayed enough, attended church enough, done enough charity work, or listened to enough sermons to earn the right of salvation. You spend much time looking at yourself and what you have done. You don't see the greatest gift hanging from heaven right in front of your face. And so you continue on hoping that the Lord maybe one day will find enough good in you that he will save you. Or perhaps you are like the world and you reject Christ and the gospel and you think it is outright foolishness. The gospel causes you to stumble as well. The idea of a freely given salvation of a God become man of a Savior suffering on the cross for sin and granting salvation even to the vilest sinner, this is an offense to you. Or maybe you even think it's a fairy tale. The fact that the gospel cannot 
be reconciled with the tolerant thinking of the world that Christ and worldly philosophy, philosophy and pleasure cannot coexist, this maybe is a stumbling block to you. The fact that nice people are great sinners in need of salvation offends you. Deep down you know that you need Christ for your salvation. But your heart is so darkened, your soul so corrupt, your will so set against God that your mind has become futile in its thinking. Your understanding of who God is and what the gospel is has has become tarnished and warped. But I warn you, if either of these Christians faintly, or either of these people faintly resemble you, that if you continue down this path, God will give you over to the lusts of your heart. This gospel that you stumble over, this gospel that you refuse to believe, this chief cornerstone that you continue to reject, He will crush you. The gospel will no longer be an offer of safety. It will no longer be an offer of salvation. Christ will no longer be a Savior stretching out His hands to you, freely offering you forgiveness and peace. But Christ and His gospel will be like a trap and a snare. As Isaiah says in verse 15, And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. You've heard it many times over the past few days, over the past few weeks. Pastors pleading with you. Pleading with you to turn. Bringing you God's word. Showing you the heart of God. His desire that all sinners would come to Him. So I plead with you, dear, dear unbeliever, turn with your rebellious hearts. Turn with your works righteousness. Turn with your hatred for God and flee to Christ. Fear God, bow before the King of Kings, confessing your sin and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. He will not turn you away. He will give you rest. He promises He will give you peace. Don't wait one more hour. Turn now to the Lord. The Lord next says to Isaiah, He says, bind up the testimony. Seal the law among my disciples. The Lord says to Isaiah, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. The Lord here calls Isaiah to seal up the words of this prophecy. He calls Isaiah's disciples to keep it safe. They are to know God's 
testimonies. They are to understand, believe, and obey them. And as they live through these tumultuous times, they are to find comfort and encouragement in God's word, knowing that he is a sovereign ruler guiding them through each day. And in the next verse, we see Isaiah's response to the Lord's words. He is resolved to wait upon the Lord. He says, and I will wait upon the Lord. That hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. Isaiah's resolved to trust in the Lord. Though the Lord is, is hiding his face, though it appears the Lord is not there, though it doesn't look like the Lord is working, yet Isaiah will wait upon the Lord. And he will look for the Lord. He will look for the work that the Lord is doing. Though times seem to be dark. Though the kingdoms of Israel and Judah are in perilous times, yet Isaiah is resolved to look for God's work among his people. He's resolved to look for the coming of the Lord. Though the world seems to be falling apart around him, yet Isaiah will look to see the good work that the Lord is doing. And how even in these dark times he is building up and bringing about his kingdom. I think I've said this before, but we have a backwards view of history. We look at the political events, we look at the wars going on around us, we look at the, the social upheavals that are happening, and we, we look at these as the macro events of history. We view them as the defining moments that drive the history of our world. But we call it history. His story. History actually is a story of how God is building his kingdom in this world. And so as we look at the macro events of our day, these, these events, like most days in history, seem dark. But it's the micro events, the works of the Lord in the world, that this is actually what is the driving force in, in our history. These events happen behind the scenes, rarely observed, let alone reported on by the world. It's the news of a sinner converted, a chaplain bringing the gospel into a prison. It's a story of a tribe hearing the gospel for the first time. It's a story of a church remaining faithful through persecution, of Christ turning a sinner into a saint, a rebel into a servant. It's the news of light coming into darkness and setting prisoners free. These are the defining moments of history. So this year, let us too, like Isaiah, wait upon the Lord. Though it may seem like he is hiding his face from us, let us look. Yes, let's look to see what the Lord is doing. 
What will the Lord do here in our church this year? What will he do here in our city? Yes, I I pray he brings revival. But even if this isn't his time for that, he will still be working. He is still accomplishing his purpose. He's still orchestrating the events of history to increase and build up his kingdom. And what is the Lord doing around the world? Where is the gospel going that it's never been before? The good news is that the good news is still spreading. Though Satan seeks to stop it, though the world seeks to root it out, though the darkness seeks to cover the light of the gospel, it cannot. It will not. Christ's kingdom will grow. It will go on. And yet, we will still have days where we're discouraged. We'll still have days when it won't be easy. When the future will look dark. And it's easy to say, look to the Lord and be encouraged. For we are part of this world and when things fall apart, when evil is called good, it does affect us. When we've been praying for revival, when we've witnessed to a family and witnessed to our friends and nothing happens, it's discouraging. As Christians, we are a hopeful people. And we are a waiting people. In many ways, this defines what a Christian is. We are a people filled with hope. As we look back over this text, and we look at Isaiah here, what is Isaiah's hope? Is the Lord just telling him to, in a general way, wait for the Lord? To look for how the Lord is is working in his day? Or is there a more specific hope? That Isaiah is waiting for. He has great hope of what the Lord will do. But all of this hope is connected to the coming Messiah. Isaiah knows that the Lord's work of redemption, the Lord's rescuing of his people is tied to this hope. The hope found just a few verses further on in chapter 9. Where we hear about a people who see a great light, when we hear about a child being born unto them. Isaiah was waiting for the Messiah to come. He was looking for him, knowing that the Lord would send him at the best time, knowing that the Lord would send him at the perfect time. All of Isaiah's hope, all of Isaiah's waiting all of his hope was, was tied to the Lord Jesus Christ. And some, even have, some commentators even say this verse here about waiting is about Jesus himself. That Jesus too was waiting. He was waiting for that perfect time to come into the world. He was waiting for the day the Lord had appointed for him to, to enter time, to become man, 
and to accomplish salvation for his people. We find Jesus here in verse 18 as well. Verse 18 says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. We find the first part of this verse quoted in Hebrews 2, verse 13b. Behold, I and the children which God has given me. These words are ascribed to Jesus. And so we too are called to wait for the Lord. We are too are called to look at what God is doing. And it is greatly encouraging to see what the Lord is doing in our hearts. The work He is doing in our country. The work He is doing around the world. But darkness and evil continue. God's name continues to be blasphemed. The creation is still groaning under the curse and the hearts of the righteous groan because of continued unrighteousness. But like Isaiah waited for the Messiah, so we wait for Christ's return. We wait hopefully. We pray while we wait. We work while we wait. We are testimonies of God's goodness and grace to the world while we wait. The Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. He's our only hope. Our personal hope and our hope for the world. Because of who He is and because of what He has done for our people. He is our only hope and it is Him and His gospel that we must proclaim to the world. Therefore, as we go into 2024, yes, there are many things to be concerned about. There is much darkness, much sin, much that the enemy has planned. But we do not need to fear or be terrified of them. We are called to fear the Lord our God and let Him be our sanctuary. And as we go into 2024, let us wait upon the Lord our God. Waiting expectantly for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. When He will finally come and erase the darkness with His light. He is the one that is coming. He is the one who will make all that is wrong right. He is the one who will vanquish evil. He is the one who will overcome all sin and sorrow. He is our hope. The light in our darkness. It is Him who makes it worth it to get out of bed each morning. To put on our armor. And to go out and fight the good fight. And so let us wait expectantly. And hopefully. Confident that our Lord will work this year, confident that he will uphold and build his church, and confident that soon our Savior Savior will return and gather us to be with him forever. Amen.
Our faithful Lord in heaven, we come before thee, Lord, thanking thee for this new year, thanking thee for thy word, and praying, Lord, that thy people would go out encouraged into this new year, that we would go out looking and waiting to see what thou would do, and that we would also be working, using the gifts that thou hast given to us to be faithful witnesses of thee to the world around us. So help us, Lord, to be encouraged in thee, to find all of our hope in thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And We pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we enter this new year, one of the greatest comforts that the people of God have is that God himself is with them. We heard that this morning. No matter where they are, what they're facing, they can know that he will never leave nor forsake them. From the beginning, God has created us, not only to live in communion with him, but has blessed us with the opportunity to live in community with others. In Numbers 10, we find the entire community of Israelites Not just a few families, but the entire nation being guided by God through the wilderness. He's given them a cloud, which provides them shade from the hot desert sun each day, and is a pillar of fire by night to keep them warm. Not only does the cloud provide for those needs, but it also shows them where they are to go by guiding them through the desert. God has also given them food and water. Sandals that don't wear out and clothes that don't get holes in them. And in addition to all that, he's given them his law to keep them from sin and self-destruction. God has provided everything they need. In this chapter, we find an interesting exchange between Moses and his brother-in-law, Hobab, who've come to see Moses and his family and the Israelites in the desert. In Numbers 10, verse 29, Moses invites Hobab and his family to join the Israelites on their trip, to become part of their nation, and receive a share in the land that they were going to. Moses said to him, We're we're journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good, for the Lord hath spoken good concerning Israel. Moses had spent a lot of years in the desert with his father-in-law before leading Israel out of Egypt, and he knew that where the Israelites were going was a much better place than this dry, dusty wilderness. He's offering them a land flowing with milk and honey, one where they can have a permanent home, a place where they don't have to wander for miles to find water or grass for their flocks, a place where they will be safe under the protecting arm of the Lord who will give them that land. All this in exchange for just going with them, for living with them day by day, helping out by gathering manna, fetching water, guiding sheep, just simple daily tasks. All they had to do was leave behind the desert and become part of this nation that God had delivered from Egypt. Congregation, we've received the same invitation week by week from our pastors. Not an invitation to travel somewhere and receive a place here on earth that will one day be gone forever, but an invitation to join the pilgrims who, as the writer to the Hebrews says, have no continuing city, but seek one to come. Pastor Bile, Pastor Dieter, 
Pastor Yin and Dr. Beaky, on behalf of all of us, we'd like to thank you for faithfully bringing the simple yet life-changing message of the gospel to us time and time again. By nature, none of us want to hear or respond to this invitation. But thank you for obeying the call of your master, Jesus Christ, trusting that, as Paul said to the Corinthians, that although the preaching of the cross to the world is foolishness, to us that are saved, it is the power of God. We thank you for persisting, as Moses did in verse 31, where he says, Leave us not, I pray thee, for as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and thou mayest be to us instead of eyes. In today's world, in words, he's saying, Don't waste your time here. Where we're going is far better. And not only that, you know how to camp in this wilderness, and you can be lookouts for us. You pastors do the same thing by not only directing us to repent and believe in the gospel, but in teaching us that although God has no need of us or our gifts, he uses his children and the talents they've been given to assist other Christians in their journey through this life and to bring others into the kingdom. Thank you, pastors, for bringing us the whole counsel of God. And to our pastor's wives, Mary, Kara, Chinzi, and Jess, thank you for working alongside your husbands and encouraging them in their challenging yet rewarding calling. Thank you for sharing them and their time with our church when they were required to be gone at times when you would rather have them at home. Congregation, on behalf of the consistory and pastors, thank you for using your talents to assist each other in running the race that God has put us in together. All of us have been created with gifts to benefit others. Without the saving work of Christ in our life, however, they're worth nothing. They're nothing but a selfish endeavor to make ourselves feel better and pacify our consciences. We each need to repent and trust Christ and his righteousness to redeem us from the curse of the law and then have the Holy Spirit planted within us, he who will guide us in using these gifts for the benefit of God's kingdom. We know from Judges 1 that Moses' in-laws did go with them and receive part of the nation of Israel, just as, as had been promised. Moses knew that God would do what he had said to him in Egypt. And at God's word, he could guarantee his family that they would have a place in the promised land. May we as a congregation in the coming year hear the call of the gospel through our pastors and respond in faith toward God and in action towards one another. For as Moses said, it shall be, if thou go with us, yea, it shall be, that what goodness the Lord shall do unto us, the same we will do unto thee. On behalf of the consistory, we wish you and your families a blessed new year. Our prayer is that we personally, and as a church, experience God's presence with us in 2024. And... Yeah, we wish the whole congregation a, a, a blessed new year. Please pray for us as pastors as well. That we would continue to be faithful in, in, in bringing God's word, that he would strengthen and, and, uh, and help us. And, and pray for your elders and deacons as well. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Ellis. Let's close by singing uh, Psalter uh, 51.